For Cybercrime Radio, I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. Welcome to Cyber Trust and Transparency, a Cybercrime Magazine podcast series brought to you by Security Scorecard. Security Scorecard is the leading security ratings company, which is used by more than 2,500 top companies, including McDonald's, Sally Mae, and many others. To learn more about our sponsor, visit securityscorecard.com. I'm here today with Mark Weatherford, Chief Strategy Officer at the National Cybersecurity Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and an advisory board member at Security Scorecard. Mark previously served in roles including Cryptologic Officer at the U.S. Navy, CISO at the State of Colorado and the State of California, Deputy Undersecretary for Cybersecurity at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Mark, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. So I shared your background in the opening. You have very, very impressive experience. I noticed you sit on a lot of boards. How do companies reach you and get you to potentially join that board? First off, I sit on two boards. I sit on a number of advisory boards. And those advisory boards are almost completely technology companies, and most of them are in the cybersecurity space. And to answer your question, I will see a company that I really like. I will end up talking with the executives in the company. And oftentimes that just leads to a discussion about me being on their advisory board. Many times I just get out of the blue questions or inquiries about joining advisory boards. I work with a couple of venture capital funds, so I'm seeing a lot of technology on a weekly basis, a lot of new companies, and it just kind of naturally opens up the opportunity for discussion about how I might be able to help them outside of investing to help them understand the business environment, the security environment, how to grow a company, how to staff a company, how to establish pricing for a company. So a lot of the things that startups struggle with, many startups, probably about half of the companies that I work with, they're first-time founders, so they've really never run a company. They're brilliant technologists, so I'm just kind of help them understand the business environment and marry that up with their technology expertise. Well, you bring so much to the vendor ecosystem. Really glad to have you with us. I want to kick off by asking you about security ratings and how CISOs feel about them. Because Mark, I have to tell you, there is not another topic that has the CISO so divided. We talk to a lot of Fortune 500 Global 2000 CISOs, and with this topic, they either don't want to talk about it at all and it's off limits, or they're very eager to talk about it and there's nothing in the middle. Can you explain that? Do you have any insights into that? Yeah. So I think the problem, and by the way, I agree with your assessment. I have many friends who simply do not want to have anything to do with security ratings and others that use them as part of their strategy. I think what happened is, and I got involved with the security ratings company probably almost 10 years ago now. The problem, what happened is they were so immature from a technical perspective, technology perspective, that there were as many false positives as there were real data. So they would do an assessment for a company and the next thing you know, they're getting blasted because so much of what they reported back to the security team were simply false. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. The technology was just immature. So I think they just started out behind the curve because the technology was not mature enough to truly understand the landscape that they were reporting on. 
they've obviously gotten much, much better today. And as I said, I know a number of CISOs who literally use scorecard ratings as part of their platform for keeping the executive team and the board of directors advised of what's going on. So I agree. It's kind of a binary yes or no, like or don't like, but the results are getting much better. So I think it's like anything. We're going to see more adoption, I think, going forward. So, Mark, this morning, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission sued the software company SolarWinds Corporation and its top information security executive, their CISO, saying that they defrauded investors by hiding cybersecurity weaknesses during a massive hack that targeted the U.S. government. I'm sure that I'm not the first one to bring this to your attention. I'm assuming you've probably been talking to people around this. And what I'm most interested to hear from you isn't so much your opinion on this, although I would like to hear it, but is this going to have a trickle-down effect? Is this going to impact other organizations and how they think about transparency and their own cybersecurity? So the answer is yes, yes, and I think yes. (laughs) I think it's going to have a chilling effect on security. And the reason is cybersecurity is not a binary business. It's not a everything's good or everything's bad business. Things are so dynamic that you may have been good yesterday, but you're not good today. So with respect to the solar winds case specifically, they've gone back and they've dug up emails and texts over the past several years that show internal discussions about how they were acknowledging and addressing security vulnerabilities, which that happens in any business for almost any topic you want to go about. And I think some of these, unfortunately, are going to come back to haunt the CISO there because you have casual conversations that are now being used against them, which may or may not be fair, but the law is what the law is. I think the challenge is that CISOs now, it's not a scientific business we're in. It's not that we have theories and proofs. It's such a dynamic environment. And any CISO that you talk to is going to tell you that they have hundreds or even thousands of security threats and vulnerabilities that they're thinking about on a daily basis. And how they address those is they kind of prioritize, where do I have resources to fit? Where they don't have resources, then they may have to rejigger their priorities. So I think the end result of this is going to be completely new conversations about responsibilities of the CISO. We've always had the responsibility, but we haven't always had the authority to go along with that responsibility. So now we're going to see when the CISO does an assessment or an evaluation, and they take that to the executive team or the board and say, here's a gap. I need X dollars or X resources to mitigate this. It's going to put everybody in an uncomfortable situation of saying, okay, how big of a priority is this? And do we have the resources to address that? My fear is that it's going to put the CISO and the CEO in an adversarial position where they find themselves at loggerheads over issues where the CISO is standing on the table and saying, dang it, this is a priority. And the CEO says, well, I don't really think it is. So it's going to be a messy thing for a while, but maybe the good that will come out of it is that we see CISOs with employment agreements that provide a little bit more liability protection for them as they muddle through this, again, very dynamic environment that we live in. 
It's interesting that cybercrime is the only type of crime where there's no sympathy for the victim. Oh my gosh, I know it. You know, if we rewind the clock, right, where did this all start? Whether it's SolarWinds or Uber, the list goes on. It starts with an organization that's been victimized, but the narrative quickly pivots to what did they do wrong? The other thing about this is the fact that these are criminals in other countries and even nation states themselves in many cases. So essentially we're saying, okay, public company, you have to be able to go to battle with a nation state. And if you look historically, that was the sole domain of the U.S. government to protect us from other nations. So the whole dynamic of this has changed. And honestly, I just think it's very unfair. And to your point that you just brought up, not only does the company be victimized by the criminal and cost them money and reputation and everything else, our own government's going to come back and say, okay, and by the way, now we are going to take our pound of flesh from you because you didn't do everything that we thought you should have done. It's it's going to make life a lot more difficult for us. Yeah, well, that makes two of us. It's not easy, but speaking of the government, hopefully there's some things that we're doing right. The White House National Cyber Strategy shows the U.S. government will take a data-driven approach to cybersecurity across public and private sectors. And there's going to be an annual progress report on the implementation of the cyber strategy to measure its effectiveness. And I'm curious to hear what you think. How can cybersecurity leaders across the public and private sectors ensure that they have trustworthy, reliable data that actually measures cyber resilience and effectiveness? The easy answer is to say, implement the NIST standards and make sure you're following them or any standard you choose. And I think that's the direction that the executive order was aiming at. The challenge is now, how do you prove that? Is somebody going to go out and audit every company every year to make sure that they're doing what they say they're doing? No, that's ridiculous. The government can't even do that effectively and efficiently within the federal government. I'm not saying it's a bad thing because it's not. We obviously need to raise the bar a little bit here so that companies know that there are consequences for not doing the right thing. The challenge, though, is how are we going to prove this? The only way you're going to prove it is if there's a security incident or a security issue and you retroactively go back and say, oh, wow, you're doing what you said you were doing. I'm not being critical of it, although I think it is a little bit highfalutin, if you will, for the government to make these kinds of executive order requirements there's no way to validate them with any kind of real accuracy. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Why do we keep secrets? They're mysterious, kept under lock and key, only available to a select few. But part of the problem with secrets is that they keep most of us out. What if we got rid of secrets, made everyone aware of their cyber risk, and transparency a priority? Knowing what's behind your security rating and where the data comes from not only builds trust, but restores it. In today's dangerous world of cybercrime, you need to know who you can trust in an instant, the risks you face, and who you can call. Security Scorecard is the security ratings response and resilience company. Security Scorecard created the trusted, must-have standard for measuring cybersecurity. Because cyber resilience isn't built on secrets. It comes from knowing your strengths and identifying your vulnerabilities. The world needs a common language to interpret cybersecurity data and communicate risk. With accuracy and transparency, Cybersecurity becomes a team sport. Know in an instant whether an organization deserves your trust and show others you deserve theirs. With 360-degree insights, you protect your organization, stay proactive, and preserve trust. 
To learn more, visit securityscorecard.com. And now back to the podcast. So let me ease into another topic here, which I think maybe is a little easier to speak to and maybe the data more concrete. PwC put out its annual CEO study and they do a really, really good job. And this year's edition focused on trust. And in the study, they found that more than 90% of business executives believe that their company's ability to build and maintain trust improves the bottom line and that around 80% of consumers said that a company's protection of consumer data is instrumental to building trust. How do you think companies are doing in terms of being transparent about their cyber risk management strategies, their overall posture, and conveying that to their customers? I think generally they're doing a good job. I don't think that there's a real proactive posture to say we as a public company or a private company are going to make cybersecurity one of our burning platforms, which is going to prove to all of our customers that we're trustworthy. It happens when there's been a security incident or perhaps if they're in a sector where trust is, in fact, maybe more important. But companies are not going to say, let's put this on our public face to say, we're doing all this stuff to make sure that we're more cyber secure and more trustworthy. I think it's going to happen maybe organically, but I don't think there's going to be any real proactive kind of media blitz to make it happen. Well, I suppose there's a concern about having egg on their face, right? I mean, you don't want to come out with really strong language around how cyber secure you are and then wind up in the news as a victim of a breach because the narrative is not going to be you were a victim. It's going to speak to how careless you were, so on and so forth. We know what these media stories look like. So I kind of agree with you on that. It's certainly easier to criticize than perform. And I think just like in the solar winds of that, Everybody has a position on where they fall on the NIST cybersecurity standards. The NIST CSF is kind of the de facto standard, certainly in the United States now, but even internationally, it's being adopted as the cybersecurity standard. So the challenge is everybody's going to say, yeah, we're doing this. And I just had a conversation with the CISO yesterday and he goes, yeah, we just had an assessment done and we're like three on a four scale and we're up from 2.8 last year. The challenge is going back to solar wins. They said that they were following the NIST standards, but just like many people, they felt like they were following them. But in the post-event analysis, they had gaps that they probably weren't even aware of because there's so many components to security, to cybersecurity. There's so many different ways to have a vulnerability that it's simply impossible to address everything. That's why the standards are kind of a high-level overview of, okay, how are you doing identity and access management? It just takes, you know, one chink in the armor for the whole thing to fall down in many cases, not all cases. Yeah. You know, listening to you, I'm thinking back, I don't want to date myself, but I'll go ahead and risk it because I know you've been around for a while too. <laughs> you won't embarrass me, I promise. <laughs> so earlier in my career, mid 1980s, I was building networks for universities and hospitals on the East Coast, mainly in the New York area and in South Florida. And the idea of third and fourth party risk, of course, that never really surfaced. You're talking about very controlled, internalized networks. And now you have this entire supply chain that's connected and companies have to worry about that third and fourth party risk. Security Scorecard, in fact, put out a report with the Scientia Institute, and it found that 98% of organizations globally have relationships with at least one breached third party. What's your view on that? And is there anything that security ratings or anything else can do to help? 
Absolutely. This has been one of my things that I've been banging the drum on for a decade or so now, and that's all around supply chain and supply chain cybersecurity risk. And I'm so glad you brought up the third and fourth tier elements of that, because most companies know who their first party suppliers are. They know who they have a contract signed with. But I would venture to say, and I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, I don't have any specific numbers. I would venture to say that 90% or greater of companies have no idea who their second and third, fourth party suppliers are. And maybe defining that is important too. What is a second, third, fourth party supplier? Those are the people that are supplying your first tier suppliers. And again, this falls into the really hard category. How do you know when you start diagramming this supply chain tree, who the third, fourth, fifth, and tier suppliers are? I literally just had this conversation with a friend yesterday. One of their tier one suppliers, one of their suppliers is based in Israel. Their second tier supplier, many of their employees have been called up for reserve duty. So the second tier supplier now, they are having trouble fulfilling their requirements to this first tier supplier. You can't know the hundredth tier supplier. Nobody's sophisticated enough to be able to do that. Unless you ask the questions of your suppliers, who are your suppliers? Because what you don't want is a single point of failure in that supply chain. I mean, if you're dependent on some company, second, third, fourth tier, that is in fact the only company available to provide, whether it's a product or a service or a component or whatever it might be to your tier one suppliers, that's how you go out of business. That's how one of these tier suppliers can truly affect your ability to deliver on your product. So I think having a organization like Security Scorecard that can do that kind of analysis, that can pull that thread as part of their ratings process to tell you, hey, you may have a gap down here in your supply chain that could be a critical factor in your ability to deliver your product or service. I'm a huge fan of that. I think it's maybe one of the most important things that companies aren't, in fact, thinking about today that they should be putting more effort into thinking about. So let's close out here and ask you a hypothetical question, if that's okay, Mark. If you were to <laughs> jump back in and suddenly decide to become a CISO again, and I don't think you will. Look, no. I mean, you, you've been there, you've done that, and you know, you're contributing in a much better way now. But if you are, would you demand that all vendors are vetted insofar as security goes? And what type of evaluation process would you have? Absolutely, I would. In fact, my last CSO job, that's exactly what I did. Now, I knew all my tier one suppliers are because we were actually sending them money. But what's important to do is prioritize those. If you have a supplier that provides bagels at nine o'clock every morning, that's probably not a priority from a supply chain perspective. But if you have somebody that you have SLAs with that they have to respond within 20 minutes for a software issue, then that should be a priority. So prioritizing these vendors really, really is important. Once you prioritize them, then you can say, okay, now we need to do some kind of an assessment. And again, based on how big of a priority of a vendor they are for you, you may want to actually do 
due diligence from the perspective of like an M&A transaction where you really want to get under the covers and you want to see how are these guys doing business. And again, there's all different kinds of levels of granularity for how far you want to dig under the covers, but doing just a simple risk assessment. I've heard of so many cases where companies would ask simple questions like, okay, what's the executive team's tenure in this company? And they find out, oh, wow, all of the executives left six months ago. We have a whole new team in. That might be something you want to pull the thread on. Why did that happen? That's not a security-related issue, but it's an indicator of overall business health. So I absolutely think that doing a level of due diligence on your vendors is just good business practice. In fact, I would go so far as to say you're being negligent if you're not doing some level of assessment of your vendors. Well, Mark, we covered so much ground today. I really appreciate you coming on with us, and I hope we can do this again maybe sometime early 2024. We can reach out and have you come back on with us. I'd love to do it. Cybertrust and Transparency is a Cybercrime Magazine podcast series brought to you by Security Scorecard, the leading security ratings company, which is used by more than 2,500 top companies, including McDonald's, Sally Mae, and many others. To learn more about our sponsor, visit securityscorecard.com. For more of our media, visit our website at cybersecurityventures.com. 